Let us now take the word of God and open to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll read the last few verses of that chapter, beginning with verse 16, and then on into chapter 5, reading to verse 10. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 16, through to chapter 5, verse 10. And there the Lord Jesus Christ, through his servant the Apostle Paul, encourages the congregation in Corinth, but also us today with the following words. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are are eternal. For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are At home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let us now rise and sing together from Psalm 73. Let's now turn to Lord's Day 22, Heidelberg Catechism, page 500. And 36 in the Book of Praise. Here the Catechism summarizes Scripture's teaching concerning the last two articles of the, the Apostles' Creed. Question 57. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall my soul, after this life, immediately 
be taken up to Christ, my head, but also this, my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. What comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall, after this life, possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. After the proclamation of the gospel, let's respond unto God, singing hymn 74, stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, part of living in this fallen world is that we also have to deal with death. Sometimes death seems to be farther away from us. We hear of people who die. Perhaps we hear that in a news report, perhaps we hear that in an announcement, in the church bulletin, somebody has died. But other times, death comes far closer to us, and it's someone that we know very well who dies. And you know that when someone dies, then within a few days there will also be a funeral. Now, there has been, of late, in our society, a change in words or change in terms. Whereas it used to be quite common to speak about a funeral after someone had died, now if perhaps you are in the habit of reading obituaries in the newspaper from time to time, now you will see a different term that's used at least regularly, maybe even frequently. And instead it's called a celebration of life. On the one hand, in society, you can understand why people might prefer that newer term, celebration of life. For, think it through, if someone is walking by sight rather than by faith, if people are going through life and they don't believe in the Lord, they don't believe in the gospel, they just go by what they see and what they experience, then death and dying is indeed a very difficult time. 
Dying is hard. Sometimes people die peacefully, but not always. Sometimes the, the process of dying is very painful. Painful for the person who's dying, agonizing for close family and friends. And death. Death does not look nice. If you've ever seen a dead body, even if that dead body is, is put nicely in a coffin, there's still something that sends a bit of a shiver down your spine. A dead body is not something nice to look at. And for the person who lives by sight, what happens after death? Some would say nothing, nothing at all. For others, they would just leave it as a question mark. We're not quite sure. They'll say things like, we'll have to see when we get there. Now, if that's how you approach death, just by sight, you see what it is to die, you see what death is, and you have nothing more than, at best, a question mark after death, You can understand why people want to reach back to the good times in life, the pleasant memories, the pictures about when there was life and health, and focus all on the past and to celebrate what was there during life. But brothers and sisters, as those who have been called to faith, those who have been given the gift of faith, those who are exhorted here in this passage that we read together to walk by faith and specifically not by sight. By the grace of God, we may have a different perspective. For when we experience also close to us what it is that someone whom we love dies, by the grace of God, we can look beyond that death, look with the eyes of faith, and see with the eyes of faith that something glorious, something beautiful, something blessed lies ahead. And when you can, not just at a funeral look back, of course, we do that too. But when you can, in faith, look forward and see blessedness, that is such a comfort, a comfort that we can all too easily take for granted. But the catechism doesn't want us to take it for granted. What comfort, says question 57. What comfort, says question 58. What comfort echoes Lord's Day 22 from Lord's Day 1, which began with our only comfort in life and in death. And so this afternoon, that will be our focus, that belonging to Christ is our only comfort in life and in death. And given the topic of Lord's Day 22, of course, we are focusing on this comfort in connection with death. We'll see how this is true for the soul, second true for the body, and finally true forever. 
There are two brothers and sisters who are closer than even the very closest of friends. In fact, there are two that are closer even than a mother and her very own child. There are two who are closer even than a husband and a wife concerning whom the Lord has said the two shall become one. That is very, very close. But there are two that are even closer than that. And you may say, which two? What are you talking about? The body and the soul. Why put it in such strong language? Brothers and sisters, even the closest of friends, and sometimes you have that. For instance, you have maybe two close friends at school, two students, If you ask the teacher, if the kids are milling about in the playground, you will always, always see those two together. It's like they never separate, perhaps until they have to go back in the classroom and the teachers put their desks a little ways away. They're so close. But there are times that they cannot be together. The end of the school day... The one has to go to that home, the other has to go to that home. They can't spend all the time together, no matter how close they are. And there are mothers and there are children who are very, very close. And sometimes a certain child, particularly if they're younger, you always see them holding on to mom. But things change. child grows up. Sooner or later, that child has to become more independent. Mom and child can't be so close together all the time. And husband and wife, by the grace of God, they may live through years, yes, decades together. They are so close. As the years go by, they think more and more in tune with each other. But the reality of life is that work has to be done. In the morning... Husband goes one way and wife goes her way. Maybe as much as they would like to, but they can't spend all the time together. And yet, body and soul, no matter how young, no matter how old, no matter how dependent, no matter how independent, body and soul are always, always together. Not for a day, not for an hour, not for a second of your life is your body and your soul separated. And yet, here is the power, the power of death. What could not be separated in life, not by circumstance, not by person, nothing separated body and soul. And yet, death comes And the two are severed. Soul one way, body another way. And that's really the power of death. Sometimes we underestimate that too. Because not only does 
Death had the power to separate body and soul, those two who are so, so close. But death has the power to separate others as well. Death separates very close friends. Death can separate a father or a mother from their own children. And yes, death separates husband and wife too. The power of death, it's not to be underestimated. But there is a power greater than the power of death. And that's the power of Jesus Christ who arose from the dead, victorious over death, so that we can even say with the scriptures, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your power? Your power has been conquered in Jesus Christ, because at that very moment, when death may seem to have its greatest power, separating even body and soul. The Lord Jesus Christ takes that soul, Lord's Day 22, and takes it up to himself. My soul may be separated from my body at death, brothers and sisters, but my soul will not be separated from the Lord Jesus Christ by death. No more, my soul will be taken to be with him to whom my soul belongs. But you can't see that. When someone dies and they breathe their last, you don't see the soul going up to heaven to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to walk by faith. You have to listen to the word of God and trust what he says. Trust, for instance, what Jesus Christ says in Luke chapter 23, when he himself was dying on the cross, and not only he, but also those two criminals beside him. And then he said to the one criminal, who said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Luke 23, verse 43, Jesus said to him, Truly, I'm telling you the absolute truth. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Not simply you will go to heaven. Even more than that, you will be together with me in paradise. Those were incredible words, brothers and sisters. But those are words to be accepted in faith. Or the Apostle Paul in this passage that we read together from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We have bodies. Some of our bodies are stronger, healthier. Some of our bodies are weaker, perhaps older. And we know, says the Apostle, that while we are still at home here in our bodies, We are away from the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ is in heaven and we're living down here on earth. And there's a distance between us. But we walk by faith and not by sight. And so we are of good courage and we say that we would rather be 
away from the body. And when the soul leaves the body, brothers and sisters, then we will be at home with the Lord. When someone dies, dies in the Lord, then we say, yes, their soul has now gone to heaven. And of course, that's correct. But what we should emphasize even more than that, it's not just that the soul has gone to a different place, heaven instead of earth. It's that the soul has now been taken by the power of Christ to Christ himself at home with the Lord. Jesus Christ died for that soul. That soul belongs to be with him. And to be so immediately. No delay. No process that goes on. Immediately. The last breath here is the first entrance into glory with the Lord Jesus Christ. You may already know that part of the reason that the Catechism emphasizes this is because of the teaching of purgatory. Purgatory teaches that there is a time, there is a process which a person has to go through, which a soul has to go through before that soul enters heaven. And that process can also be helped by people here on this earth. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that through various things, prayers, giving alms, even indulgences, that the souls of those who have departed can be helped through purgatory on the way to heaven. But such, brothers and sisters, such is the power of what Christ has done for us that there is no delay because there is no need for delay. Think back to what the Lord Jesus Christ said to that criminal on the cross. Now certainly, if there was someone who might yet have to go through a process, someone who had left things also from a spiritual and a moral point of view, left things unfinished in his life, this man, whatever he had all done, he committed many crimes. He'd done many sins. There was a reason that he was being crucified. And so if anyone had to be cleansed and purified after this life, you would think it was this man. And yet to this man, Jesus says, no delay. Today. Today. Today you, the criminal, with this long list of crimes, today you, the one whom the Roman government had said, you've sinned and committed crimes so serious, you are worthy of crucifixion, today you will be in paradise with me. Such is the power of our Lord and Savior. Brothers and sisters, when death comes near, and in one way or the other, we are all confronted by the weakness, the brokenness, the things that, 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 that we wished we had done, but we didn't do, things that we knew were wrong and 
And even though we prayed about them and and trusted in forgiveness, somehow that all comes up again. When death comes near, it's one to whom you need to go for comfort. Your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice what the catechism emphasizes. Not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up, where? To heaven. Of course, that's true. But that's not what the catechism emphasizes. Immediately be taken up to Christ, the risen one, the ascended one, my Savior, my head. He and he alone has the saving redemptive power to take my sin-laden soul immediately to himself. And as we focus on Christ, when death is at hand, there is, in the midst of the tears, real Christ-centered comfort. And what begins for the soul, let us not forget, continues for the body. Indeed, that's a very real emphasis in this uh, question and answer, 57. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? And it's not only my soul, but also this, my flesh. But notice again, when we go from the soul now to focus on the flesh, who's there? Who is there front and center? Also this, my flesh, raised by the power, there he is again, of Christ shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. When someone dies, our attention is in the first place on the soul and we say he or or she has gone to heaven, gone to be with the Lord, gone on to a better existence. And then, yes, we also have to deal with the body. And that's why there's a funeral. That's why there's a burial. But brothers and sisters, when death comes close, hold not only onto that comfort for the soul, but look beyond that funeral. Look beyond that grave because there's a future. There's a Christ-centered future for that body as well. When the Lord Jesus Christ, his own body being racked with pain and racked with agony, when he died on the cross of Golgotha, died as a real man with a real body, He also died for the redemption of your body. He didn't just die for your soul. He died for your flesh. Your flesh, which is weak. Your outer self, as the Apostle Paul says, which begins to wear down. Sickness, age, Injury, it all takes its toll, and the body slowly becomes weaker and weaker. 
Christ. He died for that weakening, aging, disease-ridden at a certain point body. Your body is no minor thing for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's part of you. It's part of you that he redeemed. And this then should also shape the way that we think about our bodies at the time of death. You know, we live in a society, brothers and sisters, and as much as we like society, it affects us. We're living in the midst of it every day. In the world around us, there are fewer and fewer people who bury a body. Already the majority has clearly gone towards cremation. If you look at the statistics, it's already years ago past the 50% in most places, also in Canada. It's quickly climbing higher and higher every year. Bodies are now cremated and ashes held in some place of honor usually. What are we to think about? What are we to say about this very real thing that's, that's happening all around us? We walk by faith, not by sight. If you ask people today, why are you considering or why did you decide that your body would be cremated when you die, a few things will come up. Often people will say, the use of my body, it's, it, it's over. I've, I've lived my life, and it's finished. So therefore, and this is the language that you will hear from time to time, my body just has to be disposed of in some respectful way. Or people will say things like, but it costs a lot less. Do you know how much a burial costs? It's much cheaper to have a body cremated. Sometimes people will mention things about space. It takes more to have a burial, more space, more land, than it does a cremation with some ashes. But brothers and sisters, all of these things, they can be summed up in one phrase. Walking by sight. Walking by what we see. We see that it costs less. We see that it takes less space. We see that the... That the body is all worn. It's all rent. What are we to do with it? And therefore people talk about disposing respectfully. But now, walk not by sight. But walk by faith. There is a future for your body, your flesh. There is a future that the word of God describes with a very interesting verb. To plant or to sow. So it is, says the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, what is planted, that body of yours 
is perishable. What is raised will be imperishable. What is sown is sown in dishonor. It's planted in dishonor. But it's raised in glory. What is sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. It's springtime, even though if we look outside today, you might wonder, but it is springtime. And soon enough, when the snow clears and the soil's a little bit drier and a little bit warmer, we're going to get out there with our little seed packages, maybe some of us with a big bag of seed. We're going to be putting all kinds of little seeds in the garden, in the flower beds, some petunias here and some beans and other things here and there. And as we put those seeds in the ground, sow those seeds, we're already, can't see it at that point, but we're already in our mind's eye thinking forward. Because one day, that little brown, maybe even half-shriveled little seed is going to be a big, solid bean plant producing all kinds of delicious beans. Or we plant that tiny, tiny little marigold seed. But already in our mind's eye, we're looking forward to that plant with those beautiful, vibrant, yellow, orange, red flowers. We're looking forward. And brothers and sisters, when we take a body, worn out, rent as it is, and we plant it, we sow it in the soil of the ground, it's because in faith... For us, it's like springtime. We're planting because on the basis of the word of God, we look forward. Look forward to a day in which that body will be raised by the power of Christ and made like Christ's glorious body. This body of mine, which during this life was able to do this and that and many different things, but it will be even more glorious after the resurrection of the body. We sow in anticipation of that great day. But it begins now. It begins now. Because now, by faith, we already feel in our hearts, knowing these things, believing these things, anticipating these things, we feel a real joy, but a beginning joy. And you come to church, brothers and sisters, and you hear the gospel proclaimed, and, and it may build up your joy again, and then by Tuesday, ah, you get so frustrated, so frustrated about this and that, and anger and bitter maybe about something else. There was joy. It seems like it almost evaporated again. Or you sit at the Lord's Supper, as the Lord willing you will do next week. And there, not only do you see before your very eyes the sign, the seal, the assurance of forgiveness of sins, of communion with Christ. After all, you're seated at his table, the Lord's Supper. And there, in a very special way, we enjoy Enjoy what it is to be redeemed. We enjoy what it is to live in communion with Jesus Christ. 
but then it's over. Life carries on, and, and, and we do our best to think about that and remember that. But the circumstances of life, the struggles of this broken world, they always seem to be diluting our joy. They always seem to be interrupting our joy. And that's the way it is now. But that's not the way it's going to be forever. This life is but the beginning. And brothers and sisters, God has promised to you an eternal life. You taste it now. You can taste something of it at the Lord's Supper next week. But what's coming? Ah, it's like nothing your eye has seen. If your eye delights to see that bread and that wine... Wonderful. But it's nothing, nothing compared to what your eye will one day see in the life everlasting, the new heaven and the new earth. And if you delight to hear the gospel preached today, and when you hear about God and you hear from the scriptures, it gives you comfort and real joy today. Ah, but it's nothing like what you will hear in the life everlasting. If you think it's great when a group of people like yourselves, this congregation, sings heartfeltly to the Lord, and you really put your heart into the singing, you say, oh, that sounds so good. You've heard nothing yet when you hear the sound of God's people praising God in life everlasting. And even in your deepest, deepest corner of your heart. And you try, maybe in a moment of quiet thinking and meditation, you try to think. Now when all of the suffering, all of the sickness, all of the struggle with sin, when death itself is taken away, what will that be like? And you try to imagine it. Whatever you think, brothers and sisters, this is for sure. It's still way too small. It's still way too inferior compared to what it's actually going to be. A blessedness. A blessedness which we, by grace, will be able to enjoy. But a blessedness which is focused not on us, It's not in the first place that we leave all the suffering and the struggle behind and we go on to a far more glorious life. No, it's a blessedness in the first place to praise God forever, the one who gives us that life eternal. Amen.